So the title of the message is this. The title of the message is, Does God Have a Plan for Your Pain and Your Suffering? Do you think that God has a plan for your pain and your suffering? Because the reality is that we all suffer and we all experience pain. And sometimes church world and some experiences can feel like they're just pumping sunshine at you. This morning, what I want to do is I want to unpack what Paul had to say while he was awaiting his death sentence in prison, what he learned and what he communicated to us about God's plan for pain and suffering. And so if you're new to church, you're exploring faith, it's a great time to be here. All of the messages that we've done, this is the fifth one in Ephesians, all of the messages are online for free, forever. You can check those out if you need to get caught up. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do this. We're going to read the Bible, we're going to explain the Bible, and then we're going to apply the Bible. You have notes here, and the reason we give you notes is because you will remember what we talked about if you will at least look at the notes, and even remember more if you fill in the notes there. And so beginning in verse 1, chapter 3, he says this, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, says, when I think of all this, when I think of all what? Well, when I think about all that I've been talking to the church about, Paul writing from Rome, been in prison for five years with people that he loved, that he lived with, that he did life with. Now he's in prison there in Rome, and he's writing back to the church at Ephesus. This is called the book of Ephesians. So when I think of this, when I think of all that I've already told you, In other words, that you were once lost in your trespasses and your sins. You were once the children of wrath. You were once dead to God, dead on the inside, dead spiritually. You were separated from God. He said there was a hostility that separated you from other people, the Jews and the Gentiles, and you were separated from God there. There was a wall that was there. And then he says, but God entered into your story. And when God entered your story, it changed absolutely everything. When I think of this, that there is an amazing God who chose us. Like, you didn't choose him, but he chose us us. And he chose us and we would be adopted by him and his children. We would be fellow citizens there. We would receive the blessings of God. And when I think of how amazing this God is, that God reached down and sent his son to die for you because there was no way you were dead in your sins. There was no way you could respond to God and become alive to God. When I think of this God who made a way that we can have a relationship with God through Christ, when I think of this, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he's going to talk about that he's in a box. He's, he's in a prison here. I'm going to illustrate it this way for you. I'm going to use this box right here to talk about Paul. And he's in, ch- in chains. He's bound to a prison guard there. So that is his experience. And so Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he's writing from his box in prison to the community like this community here and talking to them, what do you do when you live inside this box of pain and suffering? How many people would agree with me that much of life is lived after you lose heart? So much of life is lived after you lose heart confidence and hope, you know, that you can survive this journey here. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Paul's a prisoner, and watch, he's in the box, but he's guilty of no crime. 
He's in the box for trumped-up charges that he brought a Gentile to church, and so they threw him into prison for that. Now he's been in prison for five years. Now he's facing the death sentence. Do you think after five years, the pastor, the pastor of the church, the people might just be a little discouraged? They might just be, might be getting to lose heart? Well, that's what was happening there. So Paul talks about there's this deep divide between the people of the church there, the Jews and the Gentile Christ followers. And he says, all of a sudden, now I'm in this box. Now I'm in jail. And how many people know when a pastor goes to jail, that kind of gets some headlines going there, right? I mean, if I was in jail, it would kind of, it would, it would stimulate some headlines, I, I would think. So I hope that never happens. But anyway, so there is Paul. He's there in, in jail. He's, he's in chains, and he's in this box. They're suffering. According to uh, Eusebius Church history and all, this is a horrible place to be. A horrible place to be there. And so Paul was in jail, and the word on the streets is this because he's making headlines. And people are hearing, are hearing things like this about Paul. They say, have you heard about the pastor who's in jail? Have you heard that, that he says that there is a man named Jesus that he thinks is God? Have you heard what he's saying here? That this Jesus died on a cross, and he rose again from the dead, and he went to heaven. Have you heard that this pastor thinks that all, we're all sinners and that we need a Savior? So that, that's what this guy in the box is, is talking about here. Paul realizes this. When he's living in the box of his, of his circumstances, he's realized, you know what? This is creating some controversy. And this is giving me a platform here. And the, the community, the Jewish community is, is so upset with him because he's bringing the, the good news, what we call the gospel, the good news, to the Gentiles. And they thought it was exclusively for them. Paul now is bringing the people that are prostitutes and are worshiping idols and are, are Romans and are mocking God here. And Paul says to himself that, uh, hey, maybe God has me in the box for a reason. Maybe I'm suffering for a reason. And so he's proclaiming that Jesus is for everybody. So Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Now, time out. Whose prisoner is he? Is he a prisoner of Rome? I mean, who's feeding him food, food through those little, those little box things, you know, and they feed him food? Who's doing that? He's under the jurisdiction of Rome. I mean, who's the one that's, that's locking his cell at night? It's Rome. You know, it's, he's under the power of Rome. But he doesn't see life that way. He sees life through a different lens. He sees life through a different circumstances. See, he's not under the prison, in the prison of his circumstances. And I think a key to life is being able to see that I'm not just the prisoner of my circumstances, but perhaps it's greater than that. Perhaps there's more than that. People saw him as the prisoner of Rome. Okay, he saw his past circumstances there and realized, no, ultimately, my life is under the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And that changed everything for him. Because think about it. Think about it. You're here today, and perhaps your box, the box that you've lived in, your prison of circumstances is maybe your marriage. And, you, and in the past, or maybe now, or you've thought, you know what, I'd just like to get out of this box. 
the circumstances that you're in. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in there or a lack of a relationship that you're in or a toxic relationship. I just like to get out of the box. I like to be free from my circumstances. Maybe it's a work environment and the work environment just beats you down. Maybe it's a diagnosis the doctor has given you, but you just, you feel like you're in the, you're chained inside this box and you want to get out of the box. So Paul says, you know what? Here's what I realize in the midst of my box. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he is the controller of my destiny. And I recognize that it's him. And so his eyes in prison are on Christ. That is the key to it. So Paul, now, another thought is, another thought that I have is this. Do you think that Paul ever thought up that he would end up the greatest, arguably the greatest preacher of all time? He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Four of them he wrote in, in the box, okay? Uh, he got a personal appearance from Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus there. Four times he's left for dead, and he gets up. He goes, I'll show you. He gets up, and he walks again. And do you think that he ever thought that he would end up with that kind of pedigree? That kind of pedigree, arguably the greatest mind that's ever lived in, in the in Christian world. Do you think with that kind of pedigree that he thought, I'm going to end up in a box for God? I mean, see, it's a reminder, life doesn't always go as you plan it. Life doesn't always go as you plan it. And very often, it's, uh, the plan is different than the plan we had for ourselves here. So in your notes there, God's plan is often different than our plan. It's often different than our plan. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What is the box? What is the box that you're in right now? If you were to be completely honest with yourself, what is the box? And here's what I want to say about the box. Is it God never wastes the experience that you have in the box. He never wastes that experience. As painful as it is, see, this box is not a very happy place. It's not a happy box. I was thinking about one of my boxes. One of my boxes is my childhood. I was thinking about just driving out here. And I said, it wasn't a very happy box. It was an awful box. I didn't like the box. But what I realized is this, is looking back, God has always used the box of my childhood even now. And so you hear me tell stories from time to time. But see, God never wastes the experience of the box. He never wastes the pain and the suffering that happens in the box there. In your notes, God never wastes our pain and our suffering. And so God can actually use the hardest parts of your life, the hardest parts of your story there to encourage somebody else. See, I know that there are people here this morning, and you, when you came here, you didn't come from a pain-free history. You came here with a history of pain, and maybe even now you have anxiety, you have disappointment, you have, you have uh, you've experienced hardship, heartache, suffering. That's how you came here. So, and I know that there's a lot of suffering that has happened in this room because I know a number of stories here. And often people are carrying very difficult circumstances when they show up here. What I want to show you this morning, Paul says this continuing, watch. He said, you want to look at the screens. I'm in prison. Why am I in prison? For the benefit of you. Oh, that changes everything. Watch what he's saying. I am in the box for the benefit of you. 
Have you ever thought this, that perhaps your story, perhaps your season in the box is for the benefit of someone else? See, watch what he says. I'm in prison for the benefit of you. Paul understands that all the jail time was to help other people. Jail time that he could serve other people. He said, I know that my imprisonment is to benefit you. Okay, and so do you think perhaps your story, your season of suffering was meant to be for someone else there? Could it be that God wants to use your story to comfort someone, to mature someone, to encourage someone, to help someone? Watch what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Watch what it says here. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Watch. Who comforts us in all our troubles, comforts us in our box there. Watch as we, we continue here. So that, what, we could just be comforted? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we receive from God. See what he's doing there? You receive comfort there, and then you take that comfort that what you experienced here, and you give that comfort to others. See, there's a benefit that's to come out of the box, and it's not just for you. This is a theology of suffering. Verse 2 says, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. So we're going to read some verses here, and some of them you read them and you go like, what did he say? You know, I'd read some, I think, now, what did he say again there? And so, and a bit of it's wordy, but he's saying this, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this life. I don't deserve this, what I'm doing, this ministry. This is a God thing. And Saul, when he was Saul, he was the epitome of Jewish orthodoxy in that his disposition to the Gentiles was no different than his contemporary peers in that he considered them fuel for the fires of hell. Now the one that and he murdered them, now the one that murdered them, now the one that had the mindset that you were nothing more than fuel for hell, he says here, I've been given the responsibility to give God's grace back to them. So Paul's going to say, I've, I've received God's grace for this people group. And now for the rest of my life, I'm to dispense it and I'm going to give his grace back to them. And so Paul was given this duty to administer the grace of God to the Gentile world. Like you and me here this morning, we've been given grace if you're a Christ follower. We talked about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You've been given this gift of grace. So what do we do with the gift? You're to be an administrator or a dispenser. I came up with this. You're to be a disher outer of the grace of God, okay? Just getting sophisticated on you here. You're a disher outer of the grace of God. So what does it mean to dispense God's grace? Here's what it means. You received his grace, but are you going to give his grace? Here's what I know to be true. It's very easy. It's very easy to be a recipient of God's grace. It's very hard to dispense that grace. It's hard to dispense it. So a few years ago, 
uh, one of my sons, I had an opportunity to do this. I didn't know it was going to be an opportunity to dispense grace. What happened is he did something that violated everything that I would want for my sons. So I said, that's it for you. I got, I got, the, uh, I got the, uh, uh, the, the call. I said, I will be on the next plane to come and get you because you are coming home from school. Pack up your room. Tell your buddies you're leaving because I'm coming to get you. Got on a plane, flew there, saw him. I said, sorry, you brought this on yourself. You're coming home. I rented a car so we could bring all this stuff. He says, can I just have till tonight, Dad? Can I just go to dinner with my friends? So yeah, you can go to dinner with your friends, and then we're leaving. So then he was, he, he's packing up all his stuff, and all his friends are helping him pack up his stuff. And they're all crying while they're putting his stuff in the car. And I'm off to the side, and, and I'm crying too. And I don't want him to know that I'm crying, but I told him, I said, you guys did this, and you're responsible for it, and he's coming home. And so he packs up his stuff, and he's crying, saying, Dad, I was just getting to know everybody. I was getting to really, and, and now I'm going home. I said, yeah, you're going home. You're gonna, you need to find a new school, so you better find a new school. So he calls up one of his buddies, and he says, hey, guess what? I think I'm going to come to your school. And he's half crying, and I'm trying to hold back the tears. And um, so we're driving home, and in the midst of it, he's sleeping. And, I, and I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, God, what do you want me to do with my son? And I felt God say, give him another chance. Give him grace. I gave you grace. You give him grace. So we continued to drive home for a long time, and I didn't tell him. I didn't tell him. And when we got home, he says, now what, Dad? I said, I'm going to put you back on the plane to go back to college. But don't ever do that again. See, grace, but it's hard for me. It's really hard. So see, grace, we receive grace, but my question to you is, do we dispense grace? So you've received, and, the, and that's what, what Paul is saying here. He says, I want to be generous in dishing out the grace here. As we continue in verse 3. It says, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I have written, you may understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ here. So you read this, you think, well, what's like the mysterious plan here in the original language, mysterion, and we hear this, you know, this mysterious plan, and you think about a mystery in English, you know, and like, well, that's something that's hidden, and that's something that's unexplainable, and that's something that's puzzling and dark and secret and obscure. So what is this dark, secret, obscure plan that we're talking about here? Well, it doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean any of that. The original language, mysterion, is very simple. It means once what was once concealed is now revealed. It's that simple. And so I'm going to give you an example. Uh, but it's not like you have to like have this capacity to decode the, the Christian mystery, and I'm only at level 3, and you've got to be at level 17 to decode the mystery. It's not like that at all. So I want to demystify the mystery here because it just means mystery is something that was once unknown, previously unknown. And so to reveal a mystery about me, does anybody here know my middle name? Don't say it if you do. Don't say it if you do. Does anybody here know my middle name? 
So the mystery of my middle name. My middle name is Michael. My middle name, so the mystery is solved. There you got it. Mystery solved. But I know, I know that's probably the lamest mystery you've ever heard in the history of your life, but you get the idea. It was once concealed, now revealed. Rodney Michael Collins the first. I just threw the first in there that's a, for fun. So Paul said, hey, hey, here's what we didn't understand. There was a mystery, and the mystery was about the Gentiles and all that, that now God says, look, God doesn't play favorites. Yeah, the Jews were his people. No favorites. You're all adopted. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. Okay, you're all the outsiders there. People think they're, they're new to church. You're an outsider. No, God doesn't play those games. Say, all outsiders really are made insiders here. You become his, his family. You're, you're redeemed. That means you're, you're bought back there. You become God, part of God's family. So here's more of the mystery, verse 5. God didn't reveal it, what, the mystery, to previous generations. But now, by his spirit, he's revealed it to these people, the apostles and prophets. So in the past, they didn't know. They didn't understand the mystery, okay, that, was, that everyone, the Gentiles, are central. They're included in God's plans. In other words, everyone's included. Everyone's invited. It's only you that keeps you from being a part of God's family. The mystery is that all people's of the, of the earth are included here because Jesus died for everyone. And so God will bring them to faith. God will forgive their sins. God will give them his spirit. God will give them eternal life. That's the mystery. Gentiles are included here. They have full access to God. They share in God's promises here. There's nothing that separates them. So continuing, restating God's plan, verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, okay, that's about Jesus, that he came, that he died and rose again. The good news, share equally, equal before God, in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, the same family, okay, and both enjoy the promise of God's blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So last week, last week, you may remember that I took... I took an artistic expression to new levels if you weren't here, okay? So uh, so here it is. Put this up here. I just want to show you this. So here it is. Yes, I did that. That's not funny, those of you that are laughing. No, but so I, I did this here. Now watch, watch. So here's God, okay? And the, and the Gentiles, they were left out. They were left out. They didn't have, they, they were not, they were not part of the family. They're the Jews. They're happy. They're part of the family. And originally, they were divided, just this wall of division between them and God. When Jesus came, the cross there, the cross, through the cross, he reconciles Jew and Gentile. Through the cross, they're, recon- they're reconciled to God. So you see that what the cross did, okay, it makes man now has access to God, and now they're, they are community, they are connected, they are, they are one as a family of God. So that's what the cross did there. So you're welcome for that great artwork. And uh, I, uh, I'll take a bow here if you keep that up. So the church then, because what Jesus said, Jew and Gentile are, are connected there. There's no religious club. 
today, you know, church, people think like church, like a religious club. It's not a religious club. Everyone's invited. And so, uh, so no one is left out there. Everyone is included. So in your notes there, it says that God's plans, the gospel, that's just a church word for the good news of Jesus is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, part of the same spiritual family. They're outsiders become insiders here. And so um, that's it. Verse seven, Paul goes on to say, By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Now, when he says I'm given the, I'm I'm able to serve him, watch this, watch. Don't miss this. When he's talking about a servant, he's talking about the most common run-of-the-mill servant. He's talking about the busboy. He's talking about a waiter here. If you're a busboy or a waiter, those are great jobs. But that's what he's talking about here. So he says, look, grace changes everything. It, change, it changes you. It changes me. It's grace that, that changes our story. It's the power of God that changes our story. So see, the Apostle Paul, he went from a hater and a murderer of the Gentiles to a lover of them because he encountered the grace and the power of God on the road to Damascus, a story there in Acts. So on that road there, he, he became... Uh, he emerged a new man. And let me say this to you. If you're new, you're new to church, you're trying to sort it out. When you really encounter who God is, you encounter his grace and his reality, you will emerge a new person. And that's what happened to the uh, apostle Paul here. The power that took him from being a hellion and um, bringing hell upon the uh, Christ followers to dispensing God's grace there. So in your notes, God's plan is to give his grace and his power to us always. It's available to you there. And so because of God's grace is given to me, you know who we become. Yeah, we become sons. We become daughters. Okay, you are his. And so Paul gives, because of that, because of the grace of God, watch, here's what it does. It changes you. It capacitates you, it enables you, it empowers you, it gifts you. And it gifts you, you're given gifts then that you can actually serve God with those gifts. And so that's an expression there of what God does in you. So God's plan, continuing in your notes, is that you serve him with what he gives you, the gifts that he gives you to serve him. That's what he was doing, serving God with the gifts that God had given him, coming to expression with the Gentiles. Verse 8. Watch what he says about himself. Now, check this out. If you had written the Bible, right? There he's in prison. It's like, you know what? I got some time on my hand. I think I'll write Bible, you know? That's what he's doing in prison. And so we have this letter a couple thousand years later. He's writing Bible, hearing from God, writing Bible. So uh, he writes these uh, passages, books of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. While he's in prison, he writes those. So verse 8. Though I'm the most deserving of all people. Is that what he says? But he should say that, shouldn't he? I, this is the guy who wrote the Bible. This guy got the personal, the personal encounter like with God, with Jesus. You know, It's a guy that four times left for dead, pops up, goes out. This is the guy who started all the churches. Though I am the most, no, I'm the least deserving of all people. How could that be? 
He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. You know what? It's like he's shocked. He's shocked at that, that all that God has done for him. He says that this was done to me. And as he sees himself, he sees himself this way. I am, it's like if you could put everyone in this room here and number you one to a couple hundred, Paul would say, who's ever last in this room of, on the deserving scale of God's grace, he'd say, I am one below all of you. And this was written decades after the Damascus Road experience. Decades afterwards. Here's a guy who hears God's voice. Does he have a big ego? Is there any vibe about him? Like, you know, do you know who I am? Do you know, do you, do you know who I am? There's no vibe whatsoever. Just through and through, humility to the core of his being. I who am least in the less of all the saints, he said to the, to the Corinthians. He said, I realize that this is undeserved. I don't deserve it. And so God's plan in your notes there is you were designed to dispense God's blessing. Paul is dispensing God's blessing, God's grace to the Gentiles. Now, where would you do that? Well, maybe at your school, maybe at the workplace, maybe in your relationships there, maybe a family member. Oh, how our family members need to uh, have God's grace dispensed to them. Because we live in a, in a grace-deprived world. People don't really see that. And so I love, one of the things I love about you, I love about this church, is you're always dispensing God's blessings. You get like, like you dispense sleeping bags to the homeless. You've dispensed like at least 600 sleeping bags to the homeless. I love that in a couple months, you're going to Mexico. You're going to build a house for some people that are, that are homeless in Mexico. They don't have a house. I love that you, every week, you know this, every week, you, for, for a long time, for many years, uh, you fed about 20 students, anywhere between 10 to 20 students every week that come here. So you're dispensing God's blessings there. And then he says this, and telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them. Endless means this. And I say this because people that come to church, they think, oh, if I come, I'm going to lose something. If I come to church, if I become a Christ, I'm going to lose something. Paul said, no, watch, watch. You're not going to lose anything. He says, what you're going to get is endless treasures. That means what God wants to give you, his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his blessing, his wisdom, it literally means there's no bottom. It's unfathomable. It can't even be measured. It's unsearchable what God wants to give you. And so he says that I get to tell them the endless treasures. And so Jesus doesn't want to take anything from you. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you, this endless treasure. So you'll be better off. Verse 9 through 11. And I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan of God, the creator of all things, is kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And this was the eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice he says, I was chosen. I was chosen for this path. I didn't choose this life for myself. And I would say this to you, watch. I would say this to you, that 
your greatest life lies on the other sta- on the other side of living a life that was chosen for you. Paul said this, this life that I'm living, it was chosen for me. I was chosen. And he says, and this life I choose to live. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. God has a life for you that he would want you to live. This life is chosen for you. Fill in your name. The question is this, are you going to choose to live that life? Even though it's chosen for you, you can choose not to live your best life. Paul said, I was chosen to explain to everyone this. And so, and I've done it. I was chosen. And then he talks about here, he says that Christ died for the church so that the church then could display the infinite wisdom of God. And then there's this kind of this sort of like kind of a weird thing going on here where like all the unseen rulers and authority and heavenly places are like, what is that all about? Well, here's what it's all about here. As a church is to display for the heavenly realm God's wisdom in God's redemptive plan there. And the church then reveals God's wisdom to these unseen, invisible, supernatural powers. There's another world out there. How the wisdom of God in devising a plan of redemption okay, that unites all peoples and people to God. And powers and principalities are like looking at the church and how that's unfolding and seeing, wow, the, the wisdom that, that God would do that. And that's what it's talking about there. That, and not, that's not all. That God would use his followers to show the eternal plan to eternal beings in the heavenly places that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are here. And it amazes the heavenly realm there, what God has done in bringing salvation through a wooden cross to humanity. Wow. So God's plan in your notes there to give you wisdom for life. Verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence here. We can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So he's saying this. When you become his child... God unlocks the door. You don't have to knock. You don't have to come, you know, uh, wondering, intimidated. Is, is God going to allow me into his presence? Can I come to him? It's like, no. Total, unblocked, whatever your past, whatever you've done, whoever you've been with, you become his follower. You have absolute, total access, unblocked access to God. God, you know, you could say to him, hey, God, you know what? Dad, things aren't going well. I need some help. I can't figure this out. I can't figure life out. I can't figure my husband out. I can't figure my work out. I can't figure my relationships out. You come to him, you have complete access to him. And so I'm going to illustrate it this way. Complete access. I thought of this just last night, yesterday, while I was, while I was buttoning up the message. And so in the Collins household, one of the things that happens, we have our, we're just like you. We have routines and we have rhythms. And so we're not any different than you if you could be a little fly on the wall and, and look inside our home. So one of the routines, one of the rhythms in our home is this, is that we have a cat. So you've been to my house. You know, we have two cats. We have gray cat and we have white cat. 
I know it's really creative, but that's their real names. They don't have names. They're just called Gray Cat and White Cat because my kids, they couldn't decide on names. So Gray Cat, White Cat. So Gray Cat, one of the things Gray Cat does every single day, every single day without exception, is when Gray Cat sees me walk into uh, our, our TV room and I sit down, Gray Cat, something goes off in Gray Cat's head. Something goes off, and Gray Cat walks over to me about, th- about three times a day, every day. Gray Cat walks over to me, and Gray Cat lays right here. Complete access to the Father. <laughs> Unblocked access to the Father. So I will literally be working, uh, going like this, trying to see my computer, working on the computer when I'm working on messages. And there's Gray Cat, and Gray Cat will just kind of put his, like, like he owns me. And that's what Paul is saying. It's like, look, like Gray Cat, you just come to God. So here's a picture of Gray Cat right there. This is yesterday. Gray Cat thinks he owns me. And that's how it is every day in our house. God is, you know, he puts his arm around me there while I'm working on this message that I'm doing right now. So you remember that picture. You remember that's how it is with you. You have complete access to God all the time here. Right on? And so our last verse here, finishing with this, he says this, verse 13. So please don't lose heart. I'm in prison five years because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you so that you should feel honored here. See, God's plan is that you should constantly come to him for everything. You would constantly come to him. So Paul suggests that they don't need to get as discouraged as they're getting Because of his struggles. It literally means when it says lose heart, it means to lose courage. Paul is saying, look, we're not defeated. It's not over. I know it's been a long time. I know I'm in prison. But you don't need to get so discouraged that you're so losing heart. And I wonder, I wonder if we live much of our life after we've lost heart. I believe that we do. And we we learn to survive in that space. And the idea is, I am suffering for you. It literally means this. I am being squished and I am being pressed down by the circumstances of life. I'm being pressed down and I'm being squished by the circumstances of my life. Okay? And this box was not, was not my plan and, and, and it's, not, it's not a very happy place. But don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Paul says, he said, remember, the box is, it's for your benefit. It's not just for us, it's for others. So I wonder if people are losing heart here. Notice he says, please, it's a choice. Think about that. It's a choice. Please don't go there. Please don't go into that space, he's saying. You have a choice to go into the space of losing heart or not. It is a choice. And so I wonder if there's people here that you're losing heart. And when you lose heart, you know what happens? Um, you start, you, you don't want to fight anymore for your future. When you lose heart, you don't want to fight for your marriage. When you lose heart, you don't want to fight for your kids. When you lose heart, you don't want to fight for your sobriety. And how much of life is lived after we lose heart? So I ask you, he says, I ask you not to lose heart. When life is hard, when life is difficult, when you want it to be done, you want it to be over, when you're wondering, God, are you ever going to show up in my box? It's been so long. 
Are you listening? Are you there? He says, please don't lose heart. So what do you do when you lose heart? In closing, number one, Paul's honest. He says, I'm suffering. I'm suffering, but don't lose heart. Okay, just be honest. Secondly, we need to get perspective. Talk to somebody. Maybe you have that person in your life. And here's what I know. is a lot of people, especially men, you never share your life with others. And it's hard to do. And maybe it's how, how we grew up. But it can be, you don't want to share your burdens with anyone. You don't want to share anything. Paul talks about suffering here, and he's sharing it with the whole church there. And I think some of the things that um, we've never told anyone, we need to, we need to talk about. And somebody that you trust, maybe it's your, your, your spouse or a parent or a counselor or a pastor or someone in your rooted group or community group, but find somebody. You need to talk to somebody. And then lastly, talk to God. Like, tell him you're losing heart. Tell him, talk to him about your box. Talk to him about your experience there. And so, if you could bow your heads with me, I just want to pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you actually have a plan for our pain and suffering. Thank you that our lives are spent as a tale which has been told, that you know our lives as we live them. And Father, as we've gone through your word these past few weeks, and we hit things like this that we probably would not have chosen to camp upon, a man sitting in jail, suffering, inspired by God to write a letter and talk about it, not losing heart and how to process our pain and suffering. 